Hello, everybody, and welcome to Carbide Content. I am Fellowship Blades, and I make the Medusa Balasod. Uh, I'm David, and I make the Balasizzers. I'm John, and I make really expensive physical collectible NFTs. <laughs> More knives. I'm machine-wise, and I clearly have not woken up yet. Yeah, all right. Good morning, Dalen. <laughs> Good morning. Eight alarms, by the way. Yeah, and four phone calls, uh, I believe. Oh. <laughs> I see. Yeah. So, yeah, that was... Did that I was answer fun. them? No, you did not. I thought I was hoping you would, and then you'd go back to sleep, but it didn't happen. Huh. So, Man. we kind of started talking about sharpening. Do you want to mm -hmm. talk more about sharpening? Oh, yeah. sure. I guess, I guess I can start from the from the beginning. So... I'm sharpening right now the, you know, midnight or whatever with a wicked edge. And it takes like 45 minutes to do a blade. And mind you, they come out really nice, but it's really inappropriate for me to spend 45 minutes on a manual process. Yeah, and it takes, and the worst, I guess it takes an, you have to sit there and focus the entire time doing it. So obviously if you're getting up, up to go do something else, it's, uh, you know, it just takes too long. So what are you guys using as far as sharpening? What do you recommend? Yeah, I, I have two philosophies for sharpening. Uh, and it's very specific to being a Balasong maker because a lot of the Balasong people, uh, if you put a wicked edge on it, it is actually way more dangerous for a Balasong. Gotcha. Uh, because there's kind of two types of edges. There's technically serrated, like, very microscopically serrated edges and then there's like a full polish micro edge yeah um and so i prefer to put on a serrated edge because it's grippier so that it actually won't cut the skin as deep like instantly where if you do the wicked edge and you polish it to a t it'll cut you to the bone without even thinking about it um and both of them feel very sharp both of them will shave so it's not like it's bad edge um, yeah. but for me, I like the straight edge. And so I do that on a belt grinder. So I think I sharpen at 220 or maybe 320. I don't, I don't quite remember. Uh, and then I strop and it gets razor edge in like two and a half minutes. Um, and it's, it's, you know, super easy, super convenient when I'm doing 15 at a time. It's really nice. And, and for the Balasong user, it's not like that dangerous compared yeah. to a wicked edge, super polished. Gotcha. So my my biggest thing is the fact that I have no freehand belt experience, and I have tried, and I'm worried that at this stage in the the selling them, that it would just take too much of my time to get them correct. And then, comparably to the Wicked Edge, it's like it's a honestly, it's not as good of an edge for the knife. So I worry that it's a downgrade, even though it takes so long. So I was looking at even powered stuff. That it's still fixed to an angle kind of thing. Yeah. Like a Tormac or something. But yeah, I don't so, know anyone who has experience with one. So, so Fellowship, uh, you know, Grant and, and Dalen, you both got the AMK grinder at Blade Show, right? Yep, we did. Yeah, yeah. And so, do you want to explain that again? Yeah, I'll, I'll roll into that. So um, basically what you're talking about, and, and we haven't actually gotten these in-house yet, so we haven't played around with them, but we've been trying to, to come up with something like that where it's a fixed angle jig 
but on a on a motorized belt instead of a stone just because we need production level speed and so we ran into these guys amk tactical uh and they essentially make that just that it's like a tormach or tor- tormech how you however you say it uh it's like a tormech system but instead of a wheel or a stone it's a true belt grinder i think it's like a ours is two by 42 and then the other one's like a one by 30 um and so you you get all the power of a belt grinder but you get the precision of the tormach systems um and it sh- it should be ideal like it should be really really good for i even for you john i think whenever we get these in you should or, or whenever they come out with the one that we're buy- buying you should you should pick it up because it's gonna be pretty sick yeah i might oh, email yeah. them because like like we said it's not on the site so it's probably like a blade show type promo oh. new thing type yeah, it, so, it was very pre-production whenever we yep. we paid for it. So those Tormex, are they like steel wheels with like uh, abrasive applied to the outside edge? Is that how they work? No, they're no, true. They're a full stone. Yeah, it's, a full it's, stone? It's, a, it's a true stone. Um, I, so I have a Tormex. Oh, it's a, you know, off-brand Tormex, I guess. Um, and what I've seen, it, at least my personal experience, the actual jig part of the Tormex isn't that great. Um, because it's it's just resting on a bar essentially it's great for chisels because they make like a chisel attachment but to do any actual you know curved belly you're essentially back to freehanding in which case i prefer my belt grinder yeah so Um, it's completely useless then to me because yeah i don't have those skills so it would be yeah the curved the curved belly definitely makes it that's obviously why the wicked edge works good for it yeah but yeah, I can totally see that not working too good there. I, yeah, I will say, so I, I've probably had the most belt grinding experience out of all of us. Um, it's not, your your blade specifically is will be the most conducive to freehanding. It's, it won't be that hard, but it is truly a skill to, to master. It, it'll take a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I don't know. So, yeah. you have to leave some thickness for heat treat and stuff, obviously. Um and then you add the like micro bevel. Uh, do you think like you're gonna add the whole micro bevel on the AMK grinder, or are you using like a, a regular two by seventy two to get a little bit of micro bevel, and then doing the like actual sharpening? Yeah. Well, so my plan is to to do the whole. So the I, I forget the exact time I, I swap them back and forth. So you have the primary bevel and the, the secondary bevel or the pri- primary edge and then the secondary bevel. So the primary edge is the actual part that's cutting. Secondary bevel is the the large sweep that we're all familiar with that we hard mill and it's pain, but yeah. Um, so the primary edge I'm I'm going to do fully on the AMK. I may use a coarser belt to to do the roughing and then swap to a finer belt to do the actual sharpening. Um, I haven't quite decided that cuz cur- currently I do the whole thing uh, on the belt grinder and it it's pretty effective. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's something I can't avoid having to learn how to do it. But at the <laughs> same time, like I said, it's as you said, it's not something you just pick up in a week and then have something sellable oh, from it. It took me yeah. two years to swap over to a uh, to a belt sander, belt grinder. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so here. I what I suspect. I will. I mean, you, you what you ought to do is if you have you know free time, take some scrap blades and just try. Um, yeah, or or like if you have cheap, you know, pocket knives, just start sharpening whatever you have in the house, and you'll eventually pick it up. Right. Um, 
that's something that I'm terrified is even with the AMK system, I suspect it'll take me longer on the AMK system just because I'm so used to freehanding. I've gotten so good at just the timing. Like I can, I can literally put a final razor sharp edge within two and a half minutes. Uh, I don't know of anything that can replace that. Even CNC machines, I don't know if are that quick yeah. as far as like setting in the actual edge portion. Um, and so I, no matter what you do, you're going to be downgrading from freehanding, except ideally you, you make it more consistent and somebody else can do it with less training and skill, which is the best thing for me. Yeah. At least. I saw, I saw something like somebody 3d printed a, uh, like a Dremel holder for the wicked edge, uh, the rods. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, hey, that might actually work. Awesome. That's, kind of, that's hilarious. Kind of- to kind of grind in the whole thing because like like i said the issue is i tumble them and then you know i go to the belt sander and essentially put in the point back on it but when you do that you're riding up that bevel and it gets pretty thick uh-huh. up at the tip pretty quick so you end up having to sit there at the wicked edge with like a 50 grit stone and it's on the edge so then yeah. you have the most amount of like flexibility so then you sit there for a really long time trying to get it to actually raise a burr and everything so that's just one of my production woes, I guess. Yeah, putting away my Wicked Edge was the happiest day in the shop for me. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, so coincidentally, I got an AMK grinder, but for different reasons. I got their horizontal grinder, and this... <laughs> please sponsor us AMK. This isn't sponsored. <laughs> but, uh... uh I got it because, uh... The horizontal I thought would be good for just like cleaning up uh, like leftover material from from the tabs, you know, mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. And maybe I thought it could be good for some other stuff specific to scissors. Uh, but I also think it might be good for sharpening. This might be dumb, but doing that 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 secondary bevel or the sorry the the cutting bevel, whatever. Um, I kind of have a weird situation where because I have such a chisel grind. I can't put a burr on the backside and just like easily get rid of it because I'm not going to sharpen that backside, right? Do you not strop the back at all? I, I don't know. I've experimented a little bit. Like what what you do if you're like resharpening scissors is you actually like don't even take the scissors apart and then you sharpen each blade and then uh, you like close the scissors, but you like pull the blades apart a little bit so they don't touch. And then you open them. I, I I think I'm saying this right. You open them, and that like pulls the burr off. Ah, uh, yeah. So they, okay, yeah. They should hone each other in that. Yeah, case. it's kind of it's kind of yep. weird, and I I don't know how that'll work with my stuff. But but I'm thinking that the horizontal, uh, it'll make maybe less of a burr since it's going sideways instead of down. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I. I'm going to kind of use it for a while because I, I don't think it's critical. I also don't think I have to go and probably don't want to go as sharp. Um, I haven't tried to go super sharp uh, because, you know, scissors, it's more like a shearing thing. And uh, and the blades are kind of like pushing against each other if I, you know, properly get the bend and stuff right. And so I feel like I feel like scissors, you don't want like a super shallow Adam thick edge, you know, I think that probably would 
would not actually help cutting things and and would uh make them super fragile yeah i i definitely am not super familiar with scissor geometry so i've sharpened a few and i've been successful at it but is very ad hoc um i will say so two days ago i was sharpening little garden uh shears for for my girlfriend and Mm -hmm. i i so the it's a it's kind of cool system the sheath of the scissors came with a little uh like a a white stone sharpening that you just kind of slide them through and i got them razor sharp even though they were like uh you know 60 degree angle whatever that was really shallow the edge was actually brutally sharp i cut myself on accident because i just barely swept myself um and they and they worked really well so you what i you may want to do a super a super steep angle so it's not like a true edge but it's more like a you know 80 or 90 degree angle but still make that corner very sharp and i think that'll be the the largest success yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I still don't know if it needs to be like a mirror or not. And I think that uh, I think you want you were talking kind of about like a serrated edge. I yeah. think you want that for scissors because I think you want it to kind of grab the material. So you kind of want like that micro serration or I've even thought about like uh, there's like, you know, medical shears for like cutting off people's clothes and stuff. Right. Um looking at some of those like like the leatherman raptors um i wonder how much those even have a bend and how much tuning those really get or if it's just those like actual you know serious serrations and super steep uh you know maybe that would be a solution is is to my bending problem or whatever is is you don't need a, as much bend if if the the blades like really grab the material you know yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. I, I mean, I've one of my buddies has. I think they have a Gerber or Kershaw, you know, whatever those are, uh, medical shears, and their construction is really quick. It looks like they're stamped sheet metal. Like, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. It's surely they're not doing some high end machining practices with heat treat bending and temper cycles to get that bend. Surely they're just doing some weird one op process. No, I mean, and even like, uh, I mean, even just real scissors too, though, like, uh, just your Fiskars or whatever, paper scissors, uh, I'm sure they're not doing like a crazy amount of tuning. Uh, but I do look at like Wolf scissors has, uh, they, they kind of mass produce scissors, but they're American made and they're nice, but mm-hmm. they're not like the earnest, right. And, and they're still doing a little tuning where they tap it with a hammer, put it in a little wooden block and you know, bring the tips in a little bit with the bend. And so I've kind of, you know, accepted that, uh, you know, I want things to be somewhat automated and somewhat able that lots of people can make them or, or like, you know, you guys are talking about wanting to have employees be able to sharpen, you know, I don't want to have to have to train five years to get the, the tuning right myself and then have to have an employee learn for five years to get the yeah. tuning right. Um, and so that's what, that's what I'm really trying to just, you know, experiment and do this, but I've accepted that there's always probably going to be potentially a little bit of tuning. And so this week I got those blades back from Phoenix again, and, and they still, most of them still kind of had slightly bend the wrong way, but they were still pretty dang flat. So I felt like I could, I could, uh, at least use them. And so I did experimenting, putting them in a vice and, 
like putting one end in a vise and using pliers to kind of try to bend them over. That kind of works, but it puts most of the bend in the tip. And then I, I haven't really tried much of like just actually hammering the blades. And I'm surprised how much I can just whack blades with a ball peen hammer and they will not shatter or anything. Yeah. You know, it takes like dozens and dozens of hits and they will start, they'll start to creep and bend the opposite way. Uh, but it, it it's a lot and it, it really, I still want to do, I think some experiments with, uh, other steels and, and just see if, if they move a little bit easier. Yeah. I, I definitely think that because with my little snap test, my CPM 154 blade literally is perfectly straight, even though I, I bent it till it broke where my S35 blade did truly bend and it was, it was more durable. Like it took more force to bend it. Um, but it it set in before it broke. So I think CPM 154 is just really, really against bending. Like it's it's doesn't like to take a bend like that. Also, I didn't really know. So CM 154 is a non-powder metallurgy version of CPM 154. So 154 CM is the precursor to CPM 154. Okay. And C- yeah, the CPM literally stands for crucible powdered metal. I, I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure. Um, and, yeah. But then what I didn't know is is RWL34 like also CPM154, but like a little bit of vanadium and it's from Sweden or something? I'm not too familiar with RWL34, so I can't tell you that straight up. But if you That's if okay. you've read it, then I'm sure that it's probably true. Yeah, they were all like in the back of the Knife Steel Nerds book. Uh, they were all together, I think, because I, I think maybe they're basically the same. But I don't know. That might be wrong. And I feel like my email to, to Laren of Knife Steel Nerds, I feel like it was a little overly simplified. And so I got kind of a simple answer. And uh, I spent a lot of time rereading stuff, relearning stuff. And uh, I think I sent him a better email to hopefully really get more in depth and stuff. But uh, I only sent it a couple days ago. Yeah, I, I'm it's it's hard. Those I mean, I, I, we're all sort of engineering people. Um, it's it's tricky to truly get what you're looking for, because even even like the toughness definition, does it won't necessarily tell you if that steel will take a bend. Um, yeah, it, and that that's what I really want to know is 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 toughness helping me because it makes it less likely to fracture or is it actually also kind of fighting against me? Um and you know what? I was listening to the Business of Machining podcast. They also talked about something that I'd forgotten, which is crazy, which is uh, if you have like two, th- there's a uh, knife steel nerds, there's a article about why uh, steel flexing, and it has a video of this uh, that makes it super obvious. If you have like two bars of steel, one's hardened, one's unhardened, they're the same size. If you put like weights on them, they'll bend the same amount. And if you, you know, keep putting weight on them, they bend the same amount. It's just, one of them eventually stops and gets stuck, whereas the hardened one springs back. You know, the yeah. the soft one plastically it forms. So like hardened steel isn't actually more rigid. It just springs back and the soft one doesn't. And, yeah. and it's like it's super unintuitive. Well, so uh, the reason for that is what's called the I uh, this is trying to refer back to my junior level metallurgy, but uh, Young's modulus is yeah. the essentially the flexibility of steel and that doesn't get affected with heat treat 
um, what what does get affected, which is something that's hard to actually truly define, which is the springiness, the spring factor of steel. Um, it's hard to, it's easy to define in a true spring. It's hard to like understand that in a in a piece of flat steel. And and then uh, Dalen posted a picture of of one of the snap blades, and you're talking about carbide size, and that's what's crazy is is that's like what actually defines or, you know, changes how much it bends, I think, is is uh, it's actually bigger crystals are more bendy because the bend in steel is actually from imperfections in the crystal. Like, I forget what they call, like, displacements, where, where an atom is actually kind of missing in the crystal structure. And those displacements move... Uh, as uh as it bends and if if uh if it reaches the end of the crystal it can't move anymore and so it actually is more rigid if it's a a finer carbide structure or finer the crystals are finer because then there's there's less uh length of chain for these displacements to move along within an individual crystal yeah exactly uh i i think they call it the like the ocean of of something the the crystalline ocean i think um and so, sea of electrons. Yeah. Well, so sea of, sea of electrons is is electrical. That's like that's yeah, like it's, conductivity. It's the same thing though. Is you have your crystalline structure, and it's it's called grain shifting, where truly or or barrier sliding. There's a few different versions of it. Um, where truly the atoms are moving over each other, and that's what is moving the steel is a a sliding effect. Um, and so if you have a perfectly crystalline structure, it's incredibly strong and it's hard to break those, the, the small molecular bonds to slide those grains where if you have big, big unorganized grain structure, there's a lot of not air, but there's gaps in the molecules where there's space to move. Um, and so that's, yeah, you're, you're right on the money is the, the grains and crystalline structure affects the way it bends. And and that is driven by the heat treat, but it's also not driven by like the toughness or the strength of the steel. Those are all different factors. Yeah, I, I yeah, I see. To me, what's unintuitive is is uh, you'd think like crystals are super strong, rigid things that are brittle, and so like the bigger the crystal, the the better you know rigidity the steel would have. But it's but it's actually the opposite because of it being about like the atoms within the crystal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And what's crazy. So it, depending on how much y'all know about metallurgy, the higher you heat up a steel before you quench it, the literally those crystals are growing. The, uh, the austenite is, is literally yeah. getting bigger. Um, and so for me, the austenitic temperature for S 35 is, it should be like 1900. I'm pretty sure. Um, and so I try to heat treat just above that. Where if you go to 2050, technically the crystal should be larger, and so it shouldn't be as strong. But knife steel nerd uh, proved that wrong. So I d I don't know. There's something with S35 that kind of breaks that rule, um, where the smaller the the crystals, the rigid it, it more rigid it is. And I'm not oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. It definitely. I was looking through the book a lot. I was re reading it over and over this week and uh um yeah it, it's it's definitely not the the only factor because it's also like the type of if it's like chromium carbide 
versus vanadium carbide or, or iron carbide, you know, all those, uh, you know, that, that matters. And that's why he made Magna cut, I guess. Yeah. Is, um, so that there'd be like the least amount of chromium carbide, I think. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, well, yeah. So moral of the story, I found great success in just trying things out because I, I definitely am not a metallurgist, but I know enough to, to be dangerous and I've been proven <laughs> wrong by a lot of the theories, especially with, with knife steels, because a lot of the theories are built around structural steer steels and tool steels, uh, where knife steels are very, very specific properties that we're hunting because edge retention, isn't just a quality of toughness or strength or hardness. Yeah. It's, it's its own thing. Um, and so just get getting the seals and trying it out and breaking blades and and whatever i've i've found the most success in doing that kind of uh no and, and i definitely i think i want to i really want to experiment with other steels and uh i might just even just literally just heat treat some rectangular bars of different steels and just see how they bend yeah um stuff like that I, yeah, I think with with your your thing, you're even chasing a, a whole another variable, but that nobody really documents, which is how how will it take a bend? And there are there are tests to do this, but the problem is nobody performs these tests on knife steels to the point that you, we have a collection of data to go off of. Um, yeah, because because the book will mention like to degree everybody wants what I want because if things warp and heat treat, people want to fix it. Right. You know, but it's still like, it's, you know, it's still not like you can just have a number or, or a ranking on it. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't, I'll work on it. Yeah. <laughs> what have you guys been up to, uh, John and Dalen? Dalen, you can go ahead. All right. Yeah. Um, I've been struggling with handling aluminum parts recently. Oh, yeah. Like scratches? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, so you you might start tumbling them and you weren't before. Correct, yeah. I'm I'm playing around with tumbling. Um I'm 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 sending over a one tumbled handle as a test piece to my anodizer tomorrow, but uh I I, I prefer the machined look. I thought and, that, but when I did my tumbling, like cause it'll come out like kind of sparkly in looking and stuff yep. and kind of strange, but at least for me, and at least for black, it's varied a little bit with other colors. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, even if it looks super sparkly or whatever, it could be, like, a super nice, like, super clean anodized finish. Yeah, the problem right now is I don't have any media between my two tumblers that are more aluminum-conducive. They're all yeah. really aggressive for the for the hardened blades and titanium. Um, and I really don't want to put my divider back into the tumbler. Yeah, so I've been I've, I've been playing around with it. I got decent results on the one that I'm sending. Um, we'll see how it how it anodizes and how it how it feels as well. But, have you thought uh, I mean, about blasting? I have. It's really labor intensive, so I'm really trying to yep. avoid it if I if I can. And I mean, I should be able to take parts off of the fixture and send them to anodize without scratching them. Like that shouldn't be that difficult to do. But my fixture itself is also scratching my parts now. Oof. No, or just like we were talking about last week, just some random chip gets dragged along or something. Yep. Yep. So that's been a struggle. Uh, 
other than that, production has been pretty smooth, fortunately. How's, well, how's your drops going? Draw. <laughs> That's not smooth <laughs> at all. Um, yeah. I, you know, I was using WordPress on uh, GoDaddy for the traffic on drops. It literally couldn't keep up, so it would crash all the time. That's then I got nice. shot, which can handle the traffic, except when their core systems go down and I just got unlucky like last this week. Yeah. <clears throat> so I've I've had I haven't had a single ses- a single successful drop in ever. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. What 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 method are you using to try to sell uh your stuff, John? I mean, your tweezers, you pretty much can... I think they were just on your website when I got them. Yeah, they're just... Uh, you just buy them and then I make them kind of thing. But Okay. Um, I mean, if you have like a website crashing, that's really like a host thing as opposed to the, the actual system that the website itself is built on. So, like, who... who so, you're using GoDaddy as a host? If, Not anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm using Shopify through and through now. Which oh, can okay. handle traffic, no problem. Yeah, okay. It was like a whole Shopify thing, though. Like, every, every, yeah, no, it was it was a core system that 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 crashed for some reason. Oh, I see. Um, and it was only down for like two hours. <laughs> so but <still>. and supposedly <laughs> that 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 like never happens with Shopify. No, yeah, of course. Like the one time it does during my drop. Yeah. Um. Hmm. So bad luck I charm. should. I swear, I'm a bad luck charm when it comes to drops. <laughs> I'm just I'm just waiting to see what goes wrong today because I had to reschedule for today. Yeah. Well, we wish you luck. <laughs> yeah. We wish the website luck. Appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. It, there, there is something crazy with with the knife community and selling. Well, not crazy. It's it's annoying. No matter what variable you're on, whether you're on Val songs or you know OTFs or folders, there's always like. It's, it seems like you're always fighting against the system to get things to work. <laughs> right. It's like well, either have, you have too many customers or, you know, your payment processor doesn't like you or. Yeah, I was, yeah every step of the process is just a, a struggle. Have, have you guys thought about doing it the way Grimsmo does where you just have people get a random email? Just one person is randomly chosen to get an email for an option to buy. Yeah, um, I actually had that for a while. Uh, I had my own waitlist um, built through my old site, which was built off of WordPress and hosted by GoDaddy. Uh, the only reason I, main reason I did it, uh, was because that site couldn't handle the traffic. It was actually crashing the site from the drop traffic. Well, did you still? If there's a waitlist, but did you still kind of do it like one a day, or, or I like- did it. Um, um, in a week still, so so fifteen emails would go out every week. Um, I liked the system; it wasn't automated enough. I I would have to find a uh, like a a a skilled WordPress uh developer who could automate the system more. So I would have to go in and choose a name randomly myself, and then send the text and all that. And it was it, it was moderately time consuming. I know Grimsmo's system is like dialed in and like completely uh, automatic now. 
Yeah, because to me, I, I feel like really scared of of doing any kind of drop where where you put like a, a hundred products up and people just have to swarm and get them. It's chaos. Yeah, it's hectic. Um, I mean, I had sixty available yesterday. Uh, I had thirteen hundred unique people visit the site in oh about three minutes. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's awesome! Right? Yeah, that it's awesome. insane. Um, oh. Imagine, hang on, going going back three years, two and a half years. Imagine telling your your younger self, starting machine wise, that 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 would be your next problem. Would I'd say that you customers. were insane and that you're screwing with me, <laughs> right? Like that sounds. <laughs> oh my god, that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So I mean, yeah, at least Shopify can handle that traffic. I just got super unlucky. So fingers crossed that that never happens again. Yeah, uh, Shopify yeah. definitely seems to have a good head on their shoulders. So. They do. Yep. Um, yeah. Just wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. What about I, you, Split? Uh, you know, usual. I'm trying to get through a couple book spots. I'm slow as usual. And then the usual, uh, usual, usual type. Day to day, running around with my head cut off type feeling, yep. I guess. Yep. Running around. Just. Uh, let's see. My biggest problem right now is deciding if I should go back to 17.4 for the pivots on the knives versus 440C. Okay. I think I talked about, I actually talked to you guys at Blade Show about this a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I was like, kind of, see, in your mind you go, well, 440C, what I'm heat treating to is 54 HRC. Okay. And seventeen four is going to be like at H nine hundred is going to be C forty at its max. Yep. So and then you put it in. Obviously, the blade's rotating around it, but it's not. The blade doesn't have real pressure against the actual pivot itself. It's in my mind, it's more like a guide. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what the technical term would be, but really the bearings and the handles sandwiching the thing, that's where like a lot of the load is until you put real force, right. like cutting something. Yep. So I kind of wonder how strong or how essentially how hard does the pivot need to be to withstand regular I, cutting tasks, but I still... I don't think it needs to be that hard, honestly. Oh, yeah. I mean, so like our bushings uh, and our pivots, or at least in mine... They're they're four sixteen stainless uh, and they're hardened to about thirty eight Rockwell and those yeah, bushings yeah. are rotating within that blade you know while they're flipping yeah. and then they get yeah. dropped and like really heavily abused and I've noticed yeah. almost no visible wear on any of those components yeah. except the yeah, washes. And yeah. if you really want to send it home, my Zen pins are the same like oh, yeah, for the HRC are. and they they are durable as all get out and that is the worst case scenario is you're bouncing off of the material you're squeezing it and deform or not deforming it but trying to yeah uh, and, and they're yeah. rock solid so yep yeah and, and and really the like the biggest thing to me is it's more of a it's a better stainless essentially it's a bearing stainless 440c versus 174 and mm -hmm. it's more of a going to 174 would be significantly easier for me to actually produce them because the problem with 440C is both, and I've talked about threading, the 664 thread on it is yep. tool life is pretty garbage. And another thing is tumbling them is really difficult, actually, because they're so tiny. Oh, and, yeah. Um, and hard. 
that's another thing I keep losing parts in the tumblers, but I wanted to ask you guys <laughs> about support um, fixtures, if you will, like outside machine stuff. But yeah, I guess what I'm going to try today is do go back to 17.4 and then make a couple and see if it works. But as you said, it's like the blade on my knife is so short too that for it to be actually damaging the pivot before it actually damaged the stop pin, which is significantly right. smaller, but yeah. the stop also 17.4. So, and then the lock bar insert itself is 17.4. So, I mean, I, I, guess. I feel like, like if you really were to put a number on it, like what percentage better do you think one steel is over the other, you know, in terms of like, I don't think it's going to be the, the failure point even necessarily, but if it were like, you know, I feel like the performance difference got to be fairly negligible. Yeah, I think this is almost mentally more of a name type thing in a way where mm -hmm. it's it's just a better steel and obviously the cost of purchase. But at the same time, it's like I'm unable to produce exactly. things in a, in a real timeline over something kind of silly, I guess. You, you also on that if you're if it is the name thing keep in mind 440c is like the bare bones of the knife world so yeah, it, yeah. a true knife enthusiast would be like they they don't know what 17.4 is so if they see 440c they're like okay it's a it's a knife steel in your pivots but that doesn't mean much you know right yeah and like how many people are gonna really you know i don't even know what grimsmo's pivot steel is and you know i still own one of his knives right you know and i'm and i and i've followed him for 10 years you know mm -hmm. but i just he has mentioned never picked it up i can't remember what it was it was yeah i can't remember was, either but i know he's mentioned it yeah um, well he's done some stuff out of aebl um which is less expensive uh like like i think he's trying to do the uh the lock bar insert out of aebl yeah, yeah, I think that's the steel he ended up choosing for the lock bar inserts. Dude, I'm I might start messing with that stuff. I kept looking at it after we were talking the other day, and I was like, you know, this is actually a great steal for, and it's really cheap, right? No, yeah, no, it's, it's it's less expensive, but it's at the top of like every toughness chart, except yeah. maybe like Z tough or whatever. And so, you want? I feel like you know, if toughness doesn't hurt me at all for uh, scissor bending, then I feel like you want toughness as a butterfly knife because it's going to be dropped. But yeah. I also feel like I want toughness for scissors because someone accidentally cuts a staple or something. Oh, yeah. You don't want it to chip the blade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Toughness is a really good quality in any tool. Uh, the, the question for you specifically is does toughness negate bendability or is it positive bendability? Does it even affect it? Is that a whole different variable? But I think you always do want toughness. Uh, the only time I would sacrifice toughness is if I gain edge retention. I, I've tried to like I've expanded my options like you know the, to be able to like mass produce good blades and stuff. I've I've looked at every option, so I've like three D modeled simpler blades, and I've three D modeled the curve into the blades. All this one of the most basic things I I I think I should have just thought about first is like. How bad do you think it would be if I just only went to like 50 Rockwell or something? I don't I don't think that would be that bad for you. Yeah, I don't either. Cuz like I I think I've over I think I've over prioritized trying to use like a super nice steel and I think I've maybe even over prioritized uh 
the the Rockwell harness because I'm just like comparing myself to knives. I have seen scissors like super nice seven hundred dollar hair cutting scissors that are sixty Rockwell or more. Yeah. So like it's not like it's impossible, uh, but I don't know. Like if if I go if I go down to what you know fifty seems like really soft, but if it means I can get like the perfect bend and you could cut like Saran wrap with it or you know. Right super fine cotton or something then then like maybe i don't know maybe that'd be better and like i don't know like you'd have to sharpen it more but it's easier to sharpen it would definitely be easier to sharpen i think because of your edge geometry that's a totally fair sacrifice because you will technically have the strongest knife edge out of anybody because it's uh you know a 60 degree instead of a 20 degree Yep. Um, and so sacrificing that hardness, you're you're in a good spot to do that if it allows you to make the blade you actually need to make. And sure, it may wear out if you're cutting cardboard all day, but like anything will wear out if you're cutting cardboard all day. Yeah, I mean, I even I think my dad was even like my my dad who's you know helping me a lot. Um, he's a smart guy. Uh, you know, I think he he tries to remind me like you know figure out what you're doing for the first ten then figure out what you're doing for the first hundred, then figure out what you're doing for the first thousand. Yeah. And so I think, you know, using a different steel for the first 10 or, or using the same steel, but softer or using the same steel, but maybe it only cuts paper. I think I just like, you know, can accept some kind of compromise for the first 10. And then I just hopefully improve my hand tuning ability, hopefully improve my understanding of how, different steels are you know and and then even like depending on how big a numbers i want to do and stuff i i really think i i should also look at do i want other other uh manufacturers to make the blades for me you know yeah um i i definitely, definitely think about that. yeah i i think that's a great thing is just get it out there get the first 10 done like what what i did with the pit vipers is i just bought a sheet of 50 or a, a cpm 154 I made as many blades as I could out of it. And then afterwards, I re I revisited it and said, is this the best deal to use? I ended up changing my mind, moving to S35VN, doing the same thing with the Pit Vipers. I may move to a AEBL. Um, you know, it, continual improvement is, is I think, all of us, a huge part of, mm -hmm. of being able to keep going. And, and you have to accept the fact that the first blade you put out isn't going to be your best work. And that's a good thing. Yeah. You know? And so I was trying to see what I could do with CPM-154 because I got like 56 blades laser cut uh, and uh, surface ground, or sorry, uh, double disc ground. And so I wanted to try to make use of those the best I could. Um, but maybe I'll do an experiment with 440C, but maybe some of the leftover, you know, I still probably have a dozen or whatever of the, of the 154. Maybe I'll just try doing a few at 50 Rockwell or something and see what happens. Yeah. I, I would just keep creeping up your temper um because the best way to get rockwell to, to in my in my opinion the best way to get a good hardness where you want it to be is you harden it the same you quench it the same but then you temper higher temp for longer or usually it's just higher temp but as long as you have a, a good length um because the reason is you want to heat treat it to the best possible grain structure and then you temper that grain structure down to the point that you want it to be um and so like i think if you if you 
quenched at whatever you're doing now and then tempered at 700, you'd probably hit 50 and it would be really strong. Yeah, I, I should try that. A lot of the recipe things I see, they won't even go as low as 50. They'll, the right. lowest is like, you know, 58 or something on the yep. charts. So uh, I'll have to see if I actually feel like I, because I don't have a hardness tester. Um, I have files, so if I'm going that soft, I guess the actual files. Yeah, the files would work. Um, well, the, they'll, if you go, the, they should bite at 50, I, I yeah. think. I feel like so, it's really hard to tell because of scale and stuff. I, I'm not super into the files. They, yeah, I don't love them. They're really dirty. Uh, it, it's dirty yeah. science. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It'll be good. It'll be close enough, I think, at least to get down to like 50. Yeah. Well, what it really should tell you is if you have below 50 is you don't want to go below 50. You probably probably. Yeah. Yeah. So as long no, as I mean, and I even be... like I've even thought about like I could literally make unhardened ones, and like again, most people it'll open a box, it'll cut some paper, they like won't even care. But like I do have standards, and I feel like not hardening them at all is a little too silly. Yeah, I well, I mean, honestly, like even Lucas, like whatever the Mako wasn't hardened for like three years, and people bought them and loved them. Like it was an issue, but. Yep. Like, well, that's a he, trainer, right? Yeah, yeah, they are trainers. I'm surprised he ever has to harden them, but maybe I haven't well, experienced I think it's more it. so for bending. Yeah, it's it has nothing to do with the pivots. Oh, all, people oh, okay. can literally bend with their hands, and then it it yep. slaps the inside of the handle, or if you drop it or whatever. That's but, okay. That makes sense. But still, like, keep in mind that that is a you know Lucas is the top of our production, like our relative production, and we're we're friends with him. And you could call that a mistake or you could say, hey, he did what he could to get a really great product out and then he improved it later. Yeah, and exactly. I, yeah. Yeah. And no, it I mean, I've, I've tried to like product, like there's so many different design stages, like changes I could still make, but uh, I've tried to like, I'm product locked. All I need to do is just fine tune the manufacturing. Like, you know, V2 will happen. Hopefully not too far after I, uh, you know, start selling or whatever, and and I'll I'll do the little tiny changes I want to make, but uh, I'm trying to like keep the overall design. You know, yep. uh, I don't have to. I don't want to make a whole bunch of new fixtures or something. Exactly. Yeah, and I I can tell you as as your first or second customer, depending <laughs> if, if Dalen beats me. Yeah. Um, right. Whatever you come out with, uh, like right now the 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 scissors you had a blade show, I'd buy those in a heartbeat. Uh, yeah, but the, the problem is it's, like, partially, like, it's partially luck that, like, those ones still, like, probably, it depends on, like, what part of the blade, but mostly those can't really cut fabric very good, or at all, potentially. That's like okay. I said, may, maybe some second. And so it's, like, but that's, like, partly luck, and I still feel like I wish it was a little better. Um, you know, a lot of them are definitely worse than that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Should we start wrapping it up? Yeah, I, I think that's a about time uh thank you everyone for listening to carbide content all right see ya <laughs> nice